Welcome to a bonus episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Adam Feuerstein, coming to you from STAT's worldwide headquarters in Boston. And I'm Rebecca Robbins, recording from STAT's San Francisco Outpost. Damien's off doing some other reporting, but we have a special guest co-host joining us today for this special episode. That's STAT reporter Drew Joseph. Drew, thanks for stepping in. Happy to fill in. It's Friday, February 22nd, and today we're going to talk about a huge story that just broke. The story involves Purdue Pharma and its marketing of the powerful prescription opioid OxyContin that's been blamed by some for fueling America's opioid crisis. The big news comes from ProPublica reporter Dave Armstrong, who has obtained a highly sought after 337 page legal document never before seen in public. It's a copy of a 2015 deposition of Dr. Richard Sackler. Sackler is a member of the billionaire family that built and controls Purdue. The deposition is extremely important because it's believed to be the only time a member of the Sackler family has been questioned under oath about the illegal marketing of OxyContin and what family members knew about it. Joining us to talk about what's inside that deposition is Dave Armstrong, who we should note is our former colleague at STAT. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, Dave, give us the basic facts about this deposition. In what context was it taken, and why did everyone want to see it so badly? Well, two things. The context in which it was taken was a lawsuit that was filed by the state of Kentucky alleging that the drug had been illegally marketed in Kentucky and as a result had helped fuel a bunch of unsavory things in the state related to addiction and that that cost the state a lot of money and they wanted some money to pay for these services and for the the harm that was brought by um, folks who became addicted to this drug. Um, Kentucky was a little bit different because unlike um, a number of other states who settled along with the federal government with Purdue in 2007, Kentucky decided to do it alone. So their lawsuit went much longer. Really, the news value here is that as far as we know, no member of the family, the Sackler family that owns Purdue Pharma, has ever been deposed until this Kentucky deposition. And we don't know of any since, although there's, they've been scheduled for some uh, coming up. So people want to know, well, what does the family have to say about the way this drug was marketed? What did they know about efforts to do this in a misleading way? Um, and what else did prosecutors ask them about? Dave, what are the most important things you learned from this deposition that you didn't already know? Well, I think that one of the things you have to keep in mind is that the deposition was uh, conducted in 2015, but the time period they discussed was really the early years of OxyContin. So 1996, when it was launched, through 2001 is the behavior that's covered by this lawsuit. So we get a really inter interesting window into the early years of this product. And to me, um, one of the things I learned was how intimately involved Richard Sackler, who later became president of the company and who's always been an owner and board member in some capacity, was involved in the minute details of the marketing of OxyContin. And, you know, in 2007, Purdue admitted that, you know, some of their behavior was illegal. And this gave the prosecutors a chance to ask Richard Sackler about this. And one of the things that struck me was the degrees and the lengths to which he went to explain away behavior that the company's already admitted was wrong. So we should note that STAT has been seeking this deposition in court for years. Three years ago, STAT brought a case to try to make public this deposition and hundreds of other documents involved in Kentucky's lawsuit against Purdue. A judge ruled in favor of STAT and an appeals court has ruled in our favor. 
But Purdue is asking the state Supreme Court to take a look. In the end, that didn't matter as Dave was able to obtain the deposition anyway. Dave, what was going through your head as you finally read this deposition for the first time, you know, after waiting for so long? So I was relieved and and gratified and, and of course, interested in reading it after fighting for this for so long. And, you know, before I say more about that, Adam, it's important to note that the lawsuit's going to continue because the deposition is just one of the sealed documents that STAT is pursuing. There's a number of other documents that have been filed, and frankly, some of them we don't know what they're about because they're under seal. So STAT's going to continue that legal fight, and we'll see what that brings. But the deposition, you know, it's a really interesting insight into the thinking by one of the members of the family that owns the company. And also, frankly, a little bit of a, a glimpse into how they viewed this problem. And as I said, there was a lot of deflecting, um, some amount of minimizing. And, and frankly, the big news is that this um, person, Richard Sackler, was in on the email chains discussing an activity that the federal government in Purdue later agreed was wrong, was, was frankly illegal. Dave, does the deposition cast doubt on any of the claims that Purdue or the Sackler family has made publicly? Well, another interesting thing is that the Sackler family has been really um, reticent to speak publicly about Purdue. You know, we couldn't even find a picture of Richard Sackler to use with our our story, which is pretty remarkable given how high profile they are on the philanthropic circuit. So really, it's it's a matter of they haven't said much before. The company has sort of dismissed prior wrongdoing and blaming it on, you know, certain supervisors and employees, never naming them. So it's more learning from scratch what happened here and getting a glimpse into this world that we we didn't have any sort of insight into before because they just never say anything. So let's step back a bit. Much of the questioning of Richard Sackler and the deposition was focused on how Purdue marketed OxyContin, uh, especially, as Dave said, in those first five years after the 1996 launch. Some of that marketing is, of course, already public and well-documented. We're now going to play a clip of a 1998 Purdue marketing video intended for doctors to show their patients. Let's take a listen. Once you've found the right doctor and have told him or her about your pain, don't be afraid to take what they give you. Often, it will be an opioid medication. Some patients may be afraid of taking opioids because they're perceived as too strong or addictive. But that is far from actual fact. Less than 1% of patients taking opioids actually become addicted. And any drowsiness that might occur when you start to take the medication will soon wear off in most patients. Dave, how does having seen the deposition inform the way you think about this kind of marketing? I think what we've seen is that the marketing was conceived and executed at the highest levels of the company. You know, this was not a situation we had a couple of rogue employees off doing something they shouldn't have done. You know, this was a company-wide strategy that was approved, thought about, and implemented at at the highest levels. And, And that's really the kind of sense we're getting from the deposition and some of the documents filed in the Massachusetts case. So your story published Thursday afternoon on the websites of ProPublica and Stat. Dave, what's the reaction been like so far? There's a lot of um, interest in reading this deposition. You know, the stories are getting uh, a lot of eyeballs on them, a lot of discussion in social media. You know, one of the things I'm really interested to see is, you know, we, we went ahead and published the deposition so that everybody can see it for themselves. And it's, you know, it's a long deposition. It's 300 and something pages. So I'm curious to see what other people see in it. You know, there's a lot of people that have been focused on this issue for a lot of years. And I think there's going to be more to be gleaned from this deposition as we go forward in the next few days. 
And Drew, I have a question for you because you know you've done some reporting on all of this as well. You know what stands out uh, to you from all of this? Yeah, to echo uh, Dave's point um, from earlier, the Sacklers are sort of um, infamous, perhaps, for not talking publicly about the source of their money, even as they've given large uh, or some portion of it away to museums and hospitals. It was just interesting to have uh, the deposition and read thousands of words from this guy who's kind of been a very mysterious figure in medicine for so long. And similarly, Massachusetts, uh, in its lawsuit against Purdue, which was released in full just last month, also had um, emails and memos uh, excerpted in it from Richard Sackler. So we've had this guy who's built this sort of kind of intrigue around him for so long, and we finally have examples of how he was actually speaking and how he was speaking to attorneys in Kentucky versus how he would write emails internally. So it was just interesting to see like real world examples of that finally. So in recent weeks, we've been seeing kind of a rising backlash against Purdue and the Sacklers. For example, the Wall Street Journal reported the other day that universities and museums and nonprofits are growing uneasy about their philanthropic relationships with members of the Sackler family who have been pretty big supporters of the arts. So, Dave, I'm curious, does this deposition have potential to kind of factor into this reckoning with Sackler money that's going on right now? I think there's no question that it does, because Richard Sackler and and his wing of the family have been very active in giving to, you know, a lot of famous cultural and educational institutions, including Yale, uh, the Guggenheim. I mean, the list goes on and on. So now you have a member of the family who not only profited from the sale of OxyContin and, and the way in which it was marketed, but was you know intimately involved in the decision-making about how we're going to go about this in a way that the federal government has concluded was misleading at, at its core. So I think that this seems to be reaching something of a critical mass. You have the photographer, Nan Golden, who's been leading very high visible protest. And we haven't yet seen a, a major institution say, you know, we're going to strip the name Sackler from our building or we're not going to accept any more contributions from them. When that happens, I think there will be a domino effect. And I feel like we're on the cusp of that happening. As we mentioned earlier, Stats also seeking a bunch of other documents in the, its Kentucky case. Uh, Dave, what questions do you still have that might be answered by those other documents? Well, I think we want to see what other members of the family, what role they had in the company. You know, this is truly a family business. You know, it's unlike many other pharmaceutical concerns. It's privately held. It's 100% owned by um, Sackler family members. And what's interesting is a lot of them served as executives at the company at the time and through the execution of the launch of OxyContin. So it wasn't just Richard, but several other of his uh, siblings, cousins, you know, other uh, relatives have served in positions of influence at the company in addition to being board members. So what did, what did everyone else know? What did they do? Were there any checks here? Were there any people saying we can't do it this way? So I still think there's a fair amount to be learned from um, documents that exist. And, you know, there are literally millions and millions of documents out there, not in Kentucky, but, you know, in all of the courthouses in the country where this is being litigated. And I don't think we've even sort of scratched the surface. So there's a moment in the deposition that stood out to me. So near the end, after showing Sackler dozens of emails, memos, and other records regarding the way that OxyContin was marketed, a lawyer for Kentucky posed a key question. He said, quote, sitting here today, after all you've come to learn as a witness, do you believe Purdue's conduct in marketing and promoting OxyContin in Kentucky caused any of the prescription drug addiction problems now plaguing the Commonwealth, end quote? So Dave, how did Sackler respond? Sackler responded, I don't believe so. 
And I know that angered a lot of the people investigating the matter in Kentucky, um, because as we've pointed out, Purdue has admitted to illegally marketing this drug and putting it in the hands of people who probably shouldn't have been on the drug. So it was a pretty remarkable statement, given the fact that Purdue has previously said, you know, we didn't do things correctly. And there had to be some impact in Kentucky. You think he would have allowed for that in some fashion. So as Dave mentioned earlier, if you're interested in reading the Richard Sackler deposition, it is posted in its entirety on Stat's website. You'll also find the deposition on ProPublica's website. That's ProPublica.org. Dave, thanks for joining us and congrats on this important scoop. Thanks again for having me. does it for this bonus episode of The Read Out Loud. Matthew Orr and Alyssa Ambrose are our senior producers, and Rick Burke is our executive producer. And a regular reminder that we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you like about this special episode, what you didn't, and what stories you'd like to see us cover on our regular Thursday shows. You can do all of that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. And if you like what we do, leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. See you next week. Uh-huh.